name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We're up to the last part of understanding the liturgy, number seven. Understanding the liturgy, number seven. So last week we looked at the institution narrative. Um, just a few handouts, guys, on that uh, pew there and a liturgy book. We looked at the institution narrative, the seven short litanies, the commemoration of the saints, bringing us up to page... Two hundred and eighteen. Okay. So there's another layer in all of this which we we haven't looked at, but I think it's really nice. So the liturgy that you mostly attend on a Sunday in English is 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 is. is, is. But if you actually grab a copy of the Coptic liturgy in Coptic, the tunes are a lot longer. Um, they're not as long as the liturgy of Saint Gregory or Saint Cyril. But they actually have a very, every section has a very specific melody. So it's worth listening to. It's not something you'll generally hear on a Sunday. You'll hear snippets of it on a Sunday, but it, 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 you won't hear it completely because it takes a little bit longer. But I'd like maybe we could send out a link for some nice Coptic recordings. So on page 218. Last week we finished off by looking at the commemoration and why we pray for the departed. On 218, it says the priest continues with his hands extended and says, so still remembering that those, O Lord, whose souls he posed them in the paradise of joy, in the region of the living forever, in the heavenly Jerusalem, in that place. And we too who are sojourners in this place, keep us in your faith and grant us your peace unto the end. And the people reply, as it was, so shall it be from generation to generation and all the ages of our men. All the ages of the ages of our men. Then the priest says, lead us throughout the way into your kingdom. Yeah. So we just commemorated the departed. And he's emphasized that we're sojourners, so we're travelers in this world. And then he says, lead us throughout the way into your kingdom, the end goal. That as in this, so also in all things, your great and holy name may be glorified, blessed and exalted in everything. Honored and blessed through Jesus Christ, your beloved Son and the Holy Spirit. And then the priest says, peace be with you all. But if you just imagine with me, the priest is standing like this, yeah? And he says, peace be with you all. And what does he do? Sorry? Does he turn around across the people? He steps to the side and bows. Here, Christ is on the altar, so Christ crosses the people. So after the descent of the Holy Spirit in the current way that the liturgy of St. Basil is praying... The priest doesn't bless or cross. Okay, the priest doesn't bless or cross. But what he says, he says, peace be with you all. And he moves aside and he bows. Okay. And then we start the preface to the fraction. The priest says, again, let us give thanks to God, the Pantocrator, the Father of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. For he also has made us worthy now to stand in this holy place, to lift up our hands and to serve his holy name. Let us also ask him to make us worthy of the communion and partaking of his divine and immortal mysteries. So we notice a couple of things here. Remember at the beginning of the anaphora, the priest says, let us give thanks to the Lord. And you say, it is meet and right. In other words, yes. As the church, we say, give thanks. That's what we call Eucharist. So the priest starts the prayer of thanksgiving. Essentially, the, um, who created the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is therein. Um, 
uh, you did not abandon us to end, but have always visited us through your holy prophets, was incarnate, you rose from the dead, you, um, he instituted this great mystery, um, the litanies, those have departed, so thanksgiving for all of those things, and then at the end he comes, again let us give thanks. Okay? And he uses the word worthy twice. Worthy to stand in church and worthy to partake of the mysteries. So this again answers the question if anyone says, I'm not worthy to have communion. Yes, we are never worthy, but we are made worthy in the liturgy. I'm just going to change the orientation like so. Okay. Then the priest drops the veils. Okay. At this stage, because of the institution, uh, during the institution, the priest, remember from last week, has broken off a third. And most priests would have broken off a bit from the top and a bit from the bottom as we looked at last week. Okay? The priest holds the body in his hand and says, the holy body. Okay? And the people reply, we worship your holy body. And then, as he says, and the precious blood, he dips his index finger into the blood, raises it, crosses it, and then places his finger on the body. Now, if you remember, uh, we said the priest doesn't bless with his hands. So what's he doing now? He's not blessing with his hands, he's blessing with the blood. So he's dipped his finger in the blood, and then he lifts. So he's blessing with the blood, and then he places his finger on the body. And as he says, of his Christ, the Pantocrator, the Lord our God, he'll cross the body with the blood. Okay? Now, he does it like so. We were taught he does it like so. And he doesn't move his finger off the body because he's not crossing with his, with his finger. He's crossing with the blood. Okay? Of his Christ, the Pantocrator, the Lord our God. So he's trying to say the holy body and the precious blood of his Christ, the Pantocrator, the Lord our God. And the people reply, and the deacon says, Amen, Amen, let us pray, Lord have mercy, peace be with you all and with your spirit. The priest then starts the prayer of the fraction. Okay? There are many fractions to choose from. Some people say that the short fraction is one of the more authentic ones. Generally, fractions of, should be speaking about one thing, or one main point. What's that main point? Yeah, okay. Think in a very, very basic sense. We're in the we're in the liturgy. The priest is holding the body, and he's in the fraction. He's breaking. What should we he speak, he's speaking about? The body and the blood of Christ. Very simply. Yeah. So if you turn to page in this book, so different fractions were added along the time along time for different occasions. If you look at the short fraction, page four hundred and thirteen. It's very short, but it talks about one thing. O God, who granted us sinners the foreordained salvation and the rational heavenly sacrifice, which is the divine body and the precious blood of your Christ. This is he who has become for us purification, salvation, free gift and forgiveness of sins. So with thankfulness we cry out to you, O Holy Father, who is in the heavens, saying. It's speaking about one thing, communion. Interesting. Go to the fraction for Lent. Page 429. The one that most of the time we hear. You remember fasting and prayer are those which raise Elijah to heaven. Fasting and prayer are those which Moses pursued. Fasting and prayer, fasting and prayer. And then you, you'd actually see no mention 
of the, bo the body and blood of Christ. But if you turn the page back to 427, you see a shorter fraction that's not commonly prayed during Lent. But let's read it. You are the merciful God, the Redeemer of everyone, who was incarnate for our salvation, who has enlightened us sinners, who fasted for us 40 days and 40 nights in a mystery ineffable, who saved us from death and gave us his holy body and his precious blood for the forgiveness of our sins, who spoke to the multitude and to his saintly disciples and holy apostles, saying, This is the bread of life which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and died, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood shall live forever, and I will raise him up at the last day. Therefore, we ask and entreat your goodness, a lover of mankind, purify our souls, bodies, and spirits, so that with a pure heart we may dare without, with boldness, without fear, to cry to your Holy Father who is in the heavens and say. That, compared to the other Lenten fraction, is all about the Eucharist. So, a question could be, um, hand out, thanks Rob. The question could be, which one could be more appropriate to pray? Yeah. During this time, the priest does the fraction. Now, apparently, originally, the fraction would just be a cross like this. So one line here, one line here, one line here, one line here, around the middle part, which we call the despoticon, or some people call it spadicon, which means the part of the master, okay, the lordly, the lordly piece. So in the stamp, it resembles the Lord Christ, although the, the whole bread becomes the body of Christ. But I'll show you two fractions. The one that's commonly done, and another one that's not commonly done. So most priests would do this one, yeah? Now, there has been a lot of attempts for people to add symbolism to how it's done. I'm not going to go in there because they're, they're contemplations and I don't know if they get us anywhere. But if we think practically, the priest has to break the bread, the body, at one stage. This is when it happens, yeah? But I'll just show you what happens. So after he says that part, as he starts the fraction, he now breaks and separates the third okay holding it like so he takes the top places it here takes the bottom places it here takes this third which was here okay breaks it off and places it in the pattern and places this one here so that as it stands now he's got the shape of the cross Okay, so originally that part was here, like so, but he places it here. Now, I don't want to go, like, what worries me about people trying to explain this is they start saying, oh, this part goes back and this part goes here, and they get into something about Judas, which is very scary, because that, like, y y like that doesn't really have any, like, I don't know if there's much evidence for something like that. So, w there's no point to get in involved in all that, because it doesn't, add much. What should we be concentrating on in this part of the liturgy? The body of Christ is on the altar. That's it. Forget symbolism. We're in front of the body of Christ. Yeah. And holding this part, he then splits off the middle section, like so. Places it in the pattern, like so. Then he makes one, two, three divisions without separating near that section of the stamp okay then he places it back here okay then one two okay then he places it back here okay he lifts the middle separates the despoticon 
because he'll something will he'll do something with this section later. Kisses it, places it back in the pattern. Yeah. Now we're gonna put it all together. The only th like this is something that I personally think of. One, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Now I don't know if that is is specific. I don't, I don't know if that's intentional, but it's just that's what you end up with, okay? And then it says that the priest places it together, and if he is skilled, it says he should be able to lift it up three times, okay? And you have the body like so, okay? It's, I think it says in one book if he's skilled, yeah. And then. Is very careful from every part of the body. He calls every single part of the body a gem. So he looks, that's why there's a red cloth, red veil under. He looks for every single piece. If a piece falls, falls on the floor, he's very, like, careful. Yeah? That's one way to do the fraction. What's the other way? So the other way, essentially, you get the same breaks, but without separation. Okay? So in the institution, he does the third, okay, on the top. In the, in the fraction, the holy body and the precious blood of his Christ, okay? And then he starts the fraction. One, two, three like as we did before turns this third and that part okay one two three so uh, essentially every section of the stamp turns back kisses it places it back it's essentially the same except this one's without separation yeah and if you look, it's essentially a cross. You've got a cross here, like a cross there, that's the vertical section, and a cross here, that's the horizontal section. Although in the middle there's just a split there. Okay? And he finishes the fraction and we say, Our Father. Okay, so he chooses the fraction based on the season. Then after Our Father, if we could turn to page... 124, uh, sorry, 224. The people, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, we say, in Jesus Christ our Lord, the people chant that. And as they're, they're singing that, the priest starts to pray inaudibly certain prayers, certain absolutions. Let's read these. These are actually beautiful. And I, I really like one in St. Cyril's liturgy, which if we have time, we'll look at today as well. So page two two four, as the deacons are saying in Christ Jesus our Lord, and if if that is said in its tune, and the deacons respond the next two parts in its tune, that gives the priest roughly enough time to say these inaudible prayers. Sometimes if he hasn't finished, that's why the church will go silent for a little bit. The priest will be silent because he's finishing them off. What does he say? Yea, we ask you, O Holy Father, the Good One, who loves goodness, goodness, lead us not into temptation, nor let any iniquity rule over us. But deliver us from worthless works and from f the thoughts 
motions, sights and touches thereof. Destroy the tempter and drive him away from us. Rebuke also his movements implanted in us and cut off from us the impulses which drag us into sin. And deliver us by your holy power in Christ Jesus our Lord, through him the glory, the honour, dominion, worship are due unto you with, you, with him. Um, I lost my train of thought. This is a notable one. It's not in the book. With him the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, is of one essence with you now, all times and unto the ages of ages. Amen. And then the next prayer. The graces of the beneficence of your only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, are fulfilled. We have confessed his saving passion. We have proclaimed his death. We have believed in his resurrection. And the mystery is, accompli is accomplished. We give thanks to you, O Lord God, upon the Creator, for your mercy is great upon us. For you have prepared for us those things which the angels desire to behold. We ask and entreat your goodness, O lover of mankind, that since you have purified us all, you join us to yourself. So now we're finding out about how, like, not finding out, we've already found out, but you could see the text here is focusing on what's going to happen when we partake of the Eucharist. You join us to yourself through our partaking of your divine mysteries. Listen to this. That we may become filled with your Holy Spirit. So when we partake of the divine mysteries, we join and we're filled with, the Holy, with your Holy Spirit, confirmed in your upright faith. I love this part in particular. Having been filled with the longing for your true love, we may speak of your glory at all times. In Christ Jesus our Lord through whom the glory, the honor, dominion, etc. Meanwhile, the deacon is saying, bow your heads to the Lord, just like this. Then, the people reply, before you, so the deacon on page 225 goes, bow your head, and you bow your heads, and then you reply, before you, O Lord. The deacon says, let us attend in the fear of God. When he says that, it means, like, be attentive, something's happening, yeah? The priest says, Peace be with you all and with your spirit. And then he says the following absolution. O Master Lord Jesus, O Master Lord, sorry, O Master Lord God, the Pantocrator, the healer of our souls, bodies, and our spirits. You are he who said to our father Peter, from, your, from the mouth of your only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of the heavens, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in the heavens, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in the heavens. Therefore, O Lord, let your servants, my fathers and my brethren and my own weakness be absolved by my mouth through your Holy Spirit, O good one and lover of mankind. O God, who takes away the sin of the world, hasten to accept the repentance of your servants for the light of knowledge and forgiveness of sins. So see here how he's talking about forgiveness of sins. This reminds us again that the sacrament of the Eucharist and confession and repentance, don't split them up, put them together. Yeah. For you are a compassionate and merciful God. You are patient. Your mercy is great and true. Listen to this. If we have sinned against you, either by word or by deeds, pardon and forgive us as the good one and lover of mankind. O God, absolve us and absolve all your people. Beautiful prayer. Then at this point, the priest may mention anyone who has asked him to pray for them. So if you have submitted the paper uh, to the priest to pray for you at this point or in the offertory, he'll mention your name. Yeah? Yeah. So any papers that we get, please God, remember someone, so and so. Pick him up, please. Uh, God, remember. 
like inaudibly or he'll whisper it yeah, yeah. so that it's a very good practice to do that if you have any problem please go to remember so and so if you have a friend if someone has departed you want to remember them please go to repose the soul of so and so then he continues saying after he mentions people so he mentions everyone and then he's going to pray for himself so he's at the end look at how he's praying about himself remember O lord my own weakness did he say that about the people no and forgive my many sins and where transgression has abounded so when there's a lot of bad things let your grace be multiplied in, in abundance because of my own sins and the abominations of my heart deprive not your people of the grace of your holy spirit wow connect that with the prayer of preparation at the beginning you get the attitude of the priest approaching the sacrament yeah oh god absolve us and absolve all your people from every sin and from every curse and from every denial and from every false oath and from every encounter with the heretics and the heathen O our master grant us a reason and power and understanding to flee unto the end from any evil deed of the adversary and grant us to do what is pleasing to you at all times inscribe our names with all the choir of your saints in the kingdom of the heavens remember the word saints in christ jesus our lord through him the glory the honor dominion etc then he says remember our lord the peace of your own and your holy catholic apostolic church Inaudibly, remember, O Lord, our own Father, the Archbishop, our Patriarch, Pope Abba Tuat II, and his pan and apostolic liturgy, our Father, the Bishop Abba Suriel. And then out loud, he says, Remember, O Lord, our assemblies, bless them. Okay? Now, if you look at the Coptic and in tune, the pitch starts to get high. Yeah? It's building up towards something. Okay? And then the deacon says, Saved, I mean, with your spirit and the fear of God, let us attend. I mean, Lord of mercy, Lord of mercy, Lord of mercy. Then the priest takes, takes, you can see it all in the book here, the despoticon raises it to the, so he cups his hand under, okay, in, to make sure that nothing falls, crosses over the blood with the body, dips the end of it in the body, raises it, crosses again, saying what? The holies are for the holy. Blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The sanctification is by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Returns the despoticon, which is now, which now has some of the blood on it, to the body and crosses it. Okay. And then, if you if you're a deacon, or even if, um, and you look closely, you'll see the marks of the blood. Okay. Now the Coptic tune for this is nice because it goes really high. When it says the holies are for the holy, it goes really high. Could give you a recording. Okay. It's like this building up to this point. Yeah, what's he saying? The holies are for the holy. So the holies is this, right? What's the holy? The people. So Kiddusian saints. The holies are for the saints. Holy things are for holy people. Blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. The sanctification is by the Holy Spirit. Amen. The people reply, one is the all holy father one is the all holy son one is the all holy spirit i'm in in other words saying hey stop for a second you just called us holy so you've got the body and the blood of christ here yeah we're standing in front of christ and the priest is saying the holies are for the holy and the people are like whoa, whoa we're not holy one is holy the father one is holy the son one is holy the spirit i'm in then the priest says peace be with you all and with your spirit <laughs> some people like to say that yeah and then he says three sections 
as he's saying these three sections. Section one, the holy body and the precious true blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of our God, Amen. He is doing the cross. So I was taught big cross, small cross, and then anywhere where there's the fraction. Some people say the wounds. Okay? Some priests were taught to do this, and then like this. That's it. But the point is what? The, the body, the body, the dispotikon that has the blood on it, you dab it on the body to say that this body belongs to this blood and this blood belongs to this body. And then the next section, the holy precious body and the true blood of Jesus Christ, Son of our God, Amen. He does the same. Third section, the body and the blood of Emmanuel, our God, this is true, Amen. Upside down places it in the chalice. Some people say upside down to remember Christ on his back on the cross. So some people say he places it upside down in the chalice and covers the chalice. So what's in the pattern is the body, like so. And the people reply, Amin, I believe. Now, if you look at the Amins in the Coptic, they get higher. The first Amin is okay. The second one, high. The third one, Amin, I believe, really high. So if you look at the tune, it's sort of also telling us what's happening. Yeah? That's the beautiful thing about the Coptic tune. The priest then holds the pattern in his hand and says the confession, the final confession before he partakes in, of the Eucharist and distributes the body and the blood. Amen, amen, amen. I believe, I believe, I believe and confess to the last breath that this is the life-giving flesh that your only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ, took from our Lady, the Lady of us all, the Holy Theotokos, St. Mary. And this is full of Christological teaching. He made it one with his divinity without mingling, without confusion, without alteration. He confessed a good confession before Pontius Pilate. He gave it up for us upon the holy word of the cross of his own will for us all. Truly I believe that his divinity parted not from his humanity for a single moment or a twinkling of an eye. Given for us for salvation, remission of sins and eternal life to those who partake of him. I believe, I believe, I believe that this is true. Amen. He then says a series of inaudible praise which we'll read in a second. Meanwhile, the deacon stands in front of him opposite with a candle, a cross and a veil and says, Amen, Amen, Amen. I believe, I believe, I believe that this is true, Amen. The deacons have to always give instructions. So he gives an instruction. Pray for us and for all Christians who said to us concerning them, remember us in the house of the Lord. So if anyone said to you, pray for me when you go to church, now is the time for to pray for them when you go to church. The peace and love of Jesus Christ be with you. Let us sing Alleluia. Pray for the worthy partaking of the immaculate and heavenly holy mysteries. Lord have mercy. Then they start the distribution hymns. Now what are the prayers that... So we'll go through the text and then we'll look at the handout. Yeah? Then the priest could say a series of prayers, inaudible prayers. Let's read them because they're very, very nice. The priest finishes off the confession and says, page 235, for at all times, all glory and all honor and all worship are due to the Holy Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, now and at all times and to the ages of ages. Amen. Begins and finishes the liturgy with a glorification to the Holy Trinity, if you remember. <clears throat> then next prayer. Again, make us all worthy, our Master, to partake of your holy body and your precious blood, unto the purification of our souls, bodies and spirits, and unto the remission of our sins and iniquities, that we may be one body and one spirit with you. Glory to you with your good Father and the Holy Spirit forever. Amen. Very clear teaching on the Eucharist. What happens when you partake of the Eucharist? We become one body and one spirit with Him. Next page. Loose, remit and forgive us, O God, our transgressions, 
which we have committed willingly and which we have committed unwillingly, which we have committed knowingly and which we have committed unknowingly, the hidden and the manifest. O Lord, remit us for us for the sake of your holy name, which is called upon us. Let it be according to your mercy, O Lord, and not according to our sins. Another prayer which you could say. Author of life, King of the ages, Logos of God the Father, and our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the true bread which came down from heaven, the giver of life to those who partake of him, Make us worthy without falling into condemnation to partake of your holy body and your precious blood. May our partaking of your holy mysteries make us one with you unto the end and bless us. For you are the Son of God, yours is the glory with him and the Holy Spirit, the giver of life forever. Amen. So become one, very clear, one with you, one with you, one with you. Last one. O our Lord Jesus Christ, make us worthy to partake of your pure body and your precious blood without it being condemnation for us. Rather, as you have said to your holy disciples, take my body and blood for the remission of your sins. Likewise, may we have communion with your holy disciples, partaking of your life-giving mysteries, that we may be granted remission of our sins and forgiveness of our iniquities and purity for our souls, bodies and spirits, unto firmness in the faith of your holy name till the last breath, through the prayers of Our Lady St. Mary and of all your saints. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven. Okay? Then, he usually communes from the top part, okay? If he has another priest with him, if he has another priest with him, because they are of the same rank, he won't commune him. Rather, he places the body on the spoon and the second priest will come and commune like so, okay? If it's the bishop who's praying and there's priests, the bishop is a high rank, he will commune the priest. If there's a deacon who's praying, the priest will commune the deacon. Even if that deacon will give the blood, the priest will commune the deacon the blood. If the bishop is praying with the pope, what happens? See, the pope is a bishop, but he's the archbishop of Alexandria. He's given the pope as a higher honor. But essentially, he is the Bishop of Alexandria and Cairo and what, like the, the jurisdictions. And we give him the title Archbishop because he is the Archbishop in our, the way the Church of Alexandria operates. So, for example, if Amber Suriel is there and the Pope is praying, the Pope will place the body on the spoon and Sayedna will commune like so. So they are in the same rank? Yes. Higher honor for the Pope, but the same rank. See, the, the title Pope is an honorary title. But he's the Archbishop. The the pearls is how we refer to any small place, any small piece. Yeah, the body. Any any small piece we call a pearl. Okay. Um, Arabic gohara. I think that means jewel, or maybe. Yeah, and he and he always is very careful. I'm not sure. I heard that at one stage they were done audibly. I heard at one stage they were added later. I'm not too sure why certain prayers are inaudible, why certain prayers are, are audible. And then he'll commune people. Yeah? He'll commune the body. If he's on his own, he'll commune the body. If he's with someone else, he will take the chalice and the serving priest, the, sorry, the co celebrant, con celebrant priest, will distribute the blood. If there's a large congregation and they have several p patterns, 
the priest can place a piece of the body in each pattern and he could also distribute the blood between chalices and um, if there's a large uh, congregation the serving priest will consume the despoticon okay once he finishes communion you could have all this at the end once he finishes communion he very carefully cleans the pattern as much as he can and shows it to the deacon to examine to make sure that he's been meticulous then he washes the vessels and then he will do the dismissal which we'll get to at the end all right now let's look at the rites. okay it's the last one for today so we'll try breeze through it saint cyril of jerusalem so a few photos there just to remind you of certain things okay saint cyril of jerusalem remember fourth century next the priest says holy things for the holy wow okay it's exactly what we say today holy are the offerings after they have received the visitation of the holy spirit and you are holy after you have been privileged to receive the holy spirit not because of anything we did but because we received the holy spirit so holy things and holy persons correspond next you say one is holy one is lord jesus christ for truly one is holy holy by nature god is holy by nature but we are holy not by nature but by participation ascesis so struggle and prayer after this you hear the chanter inviting you with a divine melody to the partaking of the holy mysteries in the words taste and see that the lord is good so this must have been an old communion hymn in the eastern orthodox church they still say a commun- they have many communion hymns one of which is taste and see that the lord is good but the, i think this is a nice verse for us to say as we approach the sacrament some people like to say that some people like to say the verse this is not in the liturgical text this is people it's what they like on their own so people like to say, as the deer pants for the water, so long is my, so long is my soul for you. That very famous psalm, or this one, etc. Some people say, Amen. Because, oh, I forgot to say this. The priest, when he gives the body, says, truly, this is the body of Emmanuel, our God. And a lot, some people reply, Amen. When he gives the blood, truly, this is the blood of Emmanuel, our God. If he's giving communion to someone in hospital, he'll take a piece of the body, dip it in the blood, and put it in a small golden or silver container and he will leave it on the side yeah yeah you probably don't have to do that it's actually actually <laughs> the number of times people have done that and they've went like that that's a bit dangerous so it's best just <laughs> no crossing <laughs> look what he says now entrust not the judgment to your bodily palate but to unwavering faith for in tasting we are bidden to taste not bread and wine, but the antitype of the body and the blood of Christ. Yeah? Amber Pephanius was telling us that in St. Macarius Monastery, the elders of the monastery, those that um, uh, followed, like, have been there for a long time, followed an, a tradition that they have in their monastery, which is when the priest says, lead us throughout the way into your kingdom, they all enter into the sanctuary and they just have their heads down and they don't look at the fraction of the body. And if you realize Abuna, what does he do? He has the star. Like so. And usually, some priests do this, some don't. He would cover like so. So that the only people that might see the body are those that are communing. 
and he'll take the body as he's communing someone he'll take it put it in his hand commune it's a very private thing very it's a mystery a lot of respect is given but Ambiphonius was telling us that he remembers the elders at the monastery walking in a diffraction and just having heads down the whole time they don't dare look up yeah and they approach with reverence Father Lazarus said once to someone Coptic he goes you Copts have no idea what you're doing on Mount Athos I saw monks with tears having communion he used to be a monk on Mount Athos he goes I saw monks with tears in their eyes as they have communion that's a whole other conversation um, understanding actually what's, what's actually happening it's not just a routine like, and then, then people take the body and then they, just, they take the water the body, blood, water and then they just stand and finished you know, Christ is there, but like text, hey, yeah, good, good, you're going out, yeah, yeah, Or they might leave. St. John Chrysostom has very harsh words on anyone who leaves the liturgy early. I don't know if I've included it here, but we'll see. You don't sit, you stand. In the whole liturgy. Yes. I wish we could get there. Yeah. We're a bit loose, I think. Like most churches, a bit loose. But um, like, not everyone has to have a phone out when there's a baptism. Like, it's I think okay, one camera in the church if there's a special occasion. But not everyone has to have a phone out. Especially, it's a bit awkward when like when like a parishioner walks in and then there's like an an ordination or something, and all the deacons have a camera. Yeah, an ordination of a deacon, all the deacons have a camera. Or when the Pope comes, everyone has a camera. Yeah? Like, we love the Pope, of course, but we don't all have to have a camera. We're, we're not there for the Pope, we're there for Christ. Yeah? We could greet the Pope after. We have to remember what's actually happening on the altar. Yeah. Look at then, he gives us a hint of how they used to have communion at that time. Coming up to receive then, do not have your wrists extended or your fingers spread, but making your left hand... A throne for the right, for it is about to receive a kind, and cupping your palms, receive the body of Christ and answer Amen. So where did they used to receive the body? In their hands. In their bare hands. Amen. Carefully hallow your eyes by the touch of the sacred body. Amen. Yeah? And then partake, taking care to lose part of it. Tell me, if someone gave you gold dust, would you not take the greatest care to hold it fast, so as not lose any of it and endure its loss? How much more carefully then will you guard against losing so much as a crumb of that which is more precious than gold or precious stones? And after partaking of the blood of Christ, approach also the cup of his blood. Do not stretch out your hands, but bowing low in a posture of worship and reverence, as you say, Amen, sanctify yourself by partaking of the blood of Christ. While it is still moist upon your lips, 
touch it with your fingers and so sanctify your eyes, your forehead and your other senses. Then wait for the prayer and give thanks to God who has counted you worthy of such mysteries. Now obviously the tradition has changed as to how we have communion. So it's not right that we go and do that. Yeah? But we should take communion with reverence. In other words, have the veil. The veil was there just... They say at one stage people wanted to give honor and put that on their hands and then that tradition stuck when after a while we started giving communion in the mouth. After the blood, obviously, don't take the veil and put it on your mouth because if your, if your lips still have the blood, it's going to go on the veil, which is not respectful to the blood. Some people say that the tradition changed from placing into the hands into the mouth because people used to take it home and try to do magic or give it to unbelievers or things like that. In some churches, they instead of giving the body and the blood separately, they, they mixed it together like in the Eastern Church. In the Eastern Church, you, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, you'll come forth and the priest will... So the, the body and the, will be cut into tiny pieces into the blood and you will come forward and the priest will give you the body and the blood together in a spoon. Yeah? In the Indian Orthodox Church it's the same. I think in Syriac Orthodox Church it's the same. In the Eritrean Church? It is separate. Separate. They do it together, yeah. In, yeah. in our church, we've kept the tradition of doing it separate. Body first, then the blood. Then he says, this is, remember this is 4th century. This is really, like when, we, when we, like, when we pray the Coptic liturgy or an Orthodox liturgy or an ancient liturgy, we are doing something that's been proven and tested for centuries upon centuries upon centuries, yeah? Preserve these traditions unstained. Keep yourselves free from sin. Never cut yourselves off from communion. Never through the pollution of sin deprive yourselves of these sacred spiritual mysteries. Next paragraph. Do not therefore regard the bread and wine as simply that, for they are, according to the Master's declaration, the body and blood of Christ. Even though the senses suggest to you the other, let faith make you firm. Do not judge in this matter by taste, but be fully assured by faith, not doubting that you have been deemed worthy of the body and blood of Christ. Since you are fully convinced that the apparent bread is not bread, even though it is sensible to the taste, but the body of Christ, and that the apparent wine is not wine, even though the taste would have it so, partake of that bread as something cheer- spiritual, and put a cheerful face on your soul. So you walk out joyful, yeah? I'm going to keep reading, just because it's the last one. We could maybe go a little bit longer in a small group. Father Alexander Schmerman. Peace be with you all, says the celebrant, and then bow your heads unto the Lord. Communion, as also the whole life of the church, is the fruit of the peace achieved by Christ. The bowing of heads is the simplest, yet the essential act of worship, the very right of obedience. We receive communion in obedience and by obedience. We have no right to it. It transcends all our desires and possibilities. It can only be a free gift of God. Free gift is another word for grace. And we must be ordered to receive it. Communion is given first for the remission of sins and is therefore the sacrament of reconciliation achieved by Christ in his own sacrifice and eternally granted to those who believe in him. Communion then is the essential food of the Christian, strengthening his spiritual life, healing his diseases, affirming his faith, making him capable of leading a truly Christian life in this world. Communion finally is the token of life eternal, an anticipation, 
Look at that, an anticipation of the joy, peace and fullness of the kingdom, a foretaste of its light. So you taste these things and you receive the ultimate fulfillment of them in heaven. Communion is both partaking of Christ's sufferings, the expression of our readiness to accept his way of life and sharing in his victory and triumph. It is a sacrificial meal, a joyful banquet. His body is broken and his blood is shed. And partaking of them, we accept his cross. We spoke about this last week. Yet by the cross, joy has entered the world. And this joy is ours when we are at the Lord's table. So when we come for communion, we believe that we are at the Last Supper. And it is Christ who has given us communion, not the priest. And it is Christ the body, not the priest. It is Christ who has given us the blood, not the priest. Communion is given to me personally in order to transform me into a member of Christ. To unite me with all those who receive him. So that's how we become a church. To reveal the church as a fellowship of love. It unites me with Christ, but through him I am in communion with the whole church. This is the sacrament of forgiveness, the sacrament of unity and love, the sacrament of the kingdom. And as we leave the church and face our life, the Eucharist remains with us as a secret joy and certitude, the source of inspiration and growth, the victory that overcomes evil, the presence which makes our whole life a life in Christ. Beautiful words there, yeah? So that obviously begs the question, if this is what we believe about communion, where should it fit on the priority in the life of the church? Number one, two, three, four, five, yeah? Which, like, it's a bit scary, for example, if we look from a service perspective. If you see Sunday school teachers more putting more effort into Sunday school than attending the liturgy. If you put servants that will, at a drop of a hat, help out with organizing an activity, but they're not there on Sunday. Like, without the Eucharist, the church is just a cult. Yeah? It's just a social organization, without communion. So it has to be number one. It's more important than every, anything else we do in the church. Gregory Dix, he's a liturgical historian. He's going to talk about why we do... So there's a lot of talk about why is this porticon placed in the chalice, yeah? We say because this body belongs to this blood. But he has an idea, okay? Gregory Dix. A more innocent and meaningful custom which arose earlier was the placing of a fragment of the broken bread in the chalice, so the body, to show that they are not separable, that they are one in power and that they vouchsafe the same grace to those who receive them. So they keep the same grace to those who receive them. He has an opinion. He says, It seems to me likely, but not demonstrable, that its historical origin lay in the custom of the fermentum. This is the name given to the fragment of the consecrated bread brought from the bishop's Eucharist to that of the priest celebrating the sacrament at a lesser church elsewhere in token of the bishop's Eucharistic presidency over his whole church. Of his whole church, sorry. It seems that the fermentum was placed in the chalice by the priest presbyter at this point. So in other words, I think this is in Rome, that part of the body from the bishop's church was sent to the other churches because, as we said, the bishop cannot be at more than one place, so he sends priests to pray the liturgy on his behalf. So to show that we're in communion with each other, a piece of the body will be sent to the churches and then that will be placed in the chalice. Yeah? Obviously, we're not talking distances that we have now. The custom of the fermentum, which goes back at least to the early, early years of the 2nd century, died out comparatively in the East, probably in the 4th century, though it lasted on at Rome to the 8th or 9th century. It seems possible that when the bread 
from the Bishop's Eucharist ceased to be brought to the Eastern Presbyter to be placed in the chalice, a fragment from the bread consecrated by the Presbyter himself may have been substituted in unthinking continuance of the old custom. So we just continue to do what we did and then a new meaning was added, which is valuable, he says. And afterwards we have what we have. That's an opinion. We don't know. It's an opinion that he has. Okay. I won't read the next part. It just talks about uh, uh, some of the Christological parts that are present in the confession. Father Lev Gillet has a beautiful book on the liturgy. He says, we ask, you, we ask of Christ that his body and blood be given to us by his hand. We believe that through communion we receive Christ. Yet we must become capable with eyes of faith and love to see the Lord Jesus himself come to us and as he did with his disciples, present us with his holy gifts through which he offers himself. It is not the priest who gives us communion. Beyond the priest, it is the Lord who both offers and is offered, who draws near to us personally. Do we actually behold him as he comes to us? Do we see him hold out to us the bread and the wine that have become himself? I love this part. Do we hear the secret individual word which he will perhaps speak to us in this moment and which we should direct our very life? All those who receive communion today should themselves distribute these holy gifts to others around them. That means by their behavior, by their words, they are called to radiate the grace that has come upon them. So when the priest says, go in peace, go out and carry what you just received. Another priest says something like, We are required to return to the world and immerse ourselves in the affairs and circumstances of everyday life, bringing the redemptive power of God and the blessings of the Eucharist to our wounded and broken world. Having partaken of the body of Christ, we must now tend to the needs of the broken human bodies and spirits that are all around us, so that the rays of God's kingdom may shine in the darkness of a fallen world, bringing healing, hope and joy to the hearts of people until the Lord comes in glory. Has anyone found that when they attend the liturgy before work, the day is different? Yeah, sometimes you feel that? Last quote, Metropolitan Callisto Swear. Let us reflect on what happened at the Last Supper. First, there was the Eucharistic meal where Christ blessed the bread and gave it to his disciples. This is my body. And he blessed the cup. This is my blood. The Eucharistic meal and the foot washing are a single mystery. So we have to apply that to ourselves. We go out from the liturgy to wash the feet of our fellow humans, literally and symbolically. That is how I understand the words at the end of the liturgy. Go forth in peace. Go in peace. Peace is to be something dynamic within this broken world. It's not just a quality that we experience within the church walls. So what he's trying to say is, yes, we had all these beautiful gifts in, through the Eucharist in the church, but carry it out. Yeah, carry it out. Maybe I'll have a little bit of a tangent. And this brings to mind something. We always talk about our personal spiritual life, right? Our personal relationship with God, yeah? It's a bit dangerous sometimes. Because sometimes we could fall into the trap of thinking about Christianity as just me and God. Yeah, it's just like, leave me alone, right? But the gospel doesn't really say that. It's, not a, it's about dying to Christ and others, yeah? So it's not about my salvation, it's about our salvation. So in an ideal world, what would happen is we would have communion, we would leave commu the church, we would enter the hall, sit on the table and have a meal, yeah? If we had that, 
it's probably more important than Sunday school and youth meeting and all those other gatherings. I'm not, I'm not negating those gatherings. But I'm saying it's in order of priority. Yeah? Because they were never separate. In St. Macarius Monastery, they, Amber Bifonius was telling us that when he became a monk, I think I said this story before, but I'll say it just in case someone didn't hear it. They finished the liturgy. When he just became a monk and he saw an old monk, he wanted something from him. So he said, hi, Abuna, and the monk just stood there. Mute. Didn't say anything. It's like, okay, did I upset him or something? No. So they went into the refectory where they eat. They sit down and they ate. The priest said a prayer. And as they eat in monasteries, they read the Desert Fathers. And then they stopped eating instead of prayer and he left. Then the old monk came up to Amber Epiphanius. Then Abuna Epiphanius. and said, sorry, Father, I couldn't speak. The liturgy hadn't finished yet. So what was their understanding? That the meal after is a continuation of the liturgy. Yeah? Did I tell you about the procession, Mount Athos, the tables? I think I said this before, yeah? So that's something to think about. Maybe we shouldn't run off after the liturgy. Even if the infrastructure doesn't exist to be able to sit down for a meal, it's nice, I think, to go out of your way and say hi to someone at church who might be new or who you might not usually talk to. Yeah? I think that's important. Can I put Reed on the spot? I could stop recording if you like. No. So, what, what, back what, um, what background did you come, come from before you joined the Coptic Church? Uh, I was born a Catholic. Yeah. Okay, so you're, you grew up in a liturgical atmosphere. Yeah. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. My father was an atheist, my mum was a sort of a yeah. down Catholic, but we went to church and yeah. I was concerned about it. Yeah. How did you find your first Coptic liturgy? Yes. I mean, I love it. Yeah. Um, it was obviously long. Yep. Uh, uh, but I, I loved it. I didn't understand lots of things, I'm sure. Yep. But I, I treat it as a... Well, I don't know if this is sacrilegious. I mean, I follow the literature yeah. and I read the words and everything. But it's, I see it as a bit of a meditation, like a two-hour meditation, really. Yep. So how long have you been uh, in the... Uh, you think it's a bit fast? For me. Ah, very interesting. That's, that's nice. And I like that. I really would be lovely if there was some silence in... Mm. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, that would be nice. Especially before we leave. Yes. I think we just... Yes. Yeah. Yes, um, how long have you been in the Coptic Church? I wish they'd read the Gospels a lot more. Slower and clearly. They can yeah, clearly. Yep. Sorry, how long have you been in the Coptic Church for now? <coughs> Okay, so after two and a half years, do you think the liturgy needs to be any shorter? Not for me. Okay. Do you think it's... Okay, no, that's it. That's all. That's good. I like that. Let's cry quiz Vez and Barbara. Yeah? Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, because uh, everyone, people, a lot of people say it's too long, but really, is it? Like, it's not. And uh, has anyone ever benefited, like, has anyone ever uh, seen a lady that's been shorter and suddenly like, well, I've just, my, my spirituality has just increased after attending uh, a quicker liturgy. 
Like, I think it's nice in a fast-paced world that we enter church and just like, hey, just stop what you're doing. Just stand there. Leave your ego at the door. It's not about you. Just offer for a couple of hours or more. Yeah? 